Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm really pleased to say that my guest today is Alex Chesterman, the co-founder of Love Film and the founder of Zoopla. He's now aiming to transform the used car buying experience with his latest invention. It's called Kazoo. It's a car buying and rental website. Alex credits his father, who owned a property portfolio and restaurants, for breeding an entrepreneurial desire in him from an early age. But it was a phenomenon called the Internet that changed everything for him. Alex is, in his own words, attracted to large markets, ripe for disruption and where technology can make the market more efficient. Launching in the summer of this year, Kazoo will let customers buy, finance or rent used cars entirely online and delivered within 48 hours and with a seven day free returns policy. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you. Pleasure, great to be here. I've 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 smoked you out of the cave, and I'm very pleased to say that um, you've come to speak to us here on uh, Jazz Shapers. You had a, a relatively, uh, not sound rude, conventional upbringing in the sense you went to a nice school, which some people may have heard of or not. It's relevant. You went to do a degree, and then you had offers of doing normal jobs, and you decided to go off and do other things. Just tell me a little bit, Alex, before we get into your latest business called Kazoo, which people may not have heard of, even if they've heard of Zoopla and some of the others, Love Film, for example. Tell me a little bit about the younger Alex and what made him think, you know what, I'm just going to travel and see what happens. Yeah, so I grew up in London, as you said. I went to school here. I went to university at uh, at London University uh, and then was all set to take a normal desk job in a bank, um, as uh, as many of my peers did. Uh, And just before that, in in, in the summer, after graduating from university and before uh, starting that job, I ran into somebody on a beach uh, who convinced me that I had the rest of my life to spend behind a desk and uh, offered me the opportunity to go to the States for three months to do a management training program at Hard Rock Cafe. And that I would come back in January and maybe I could tell the bank that uh, I would, instead of starting in September, I'd start in the January. Um, I had to explain to them I didn't think that was how it worked when you got a new job straight out of university, that you didn't get to pick your start date. But I thought it was uh, uh, a good thing to do. And this and is at the, the beginning of the 90s or end of the... Uh, just this is late 80s. Late 80s, late which, 80s. At, w- at which point there was a recession, for those of us that remember, and it, it wasn't very pretty. Yeah. Uh, my parents thought I was crazy, obviously, to um, uh, to go off and do this and risk losing the job that I'd fought very hard to secure. Uh, but I thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, and, and that I could always come back. Uh, and the end result was that I uh, came back 10 years later. Uh, I stayed in the States for 10 years uh, in the restaurant business, which was sort of the first part of my career, which was the emotional part of my career because my dad was in the restaurant business. So I sort of went into that business um, uh, f- for that reason, had, had a great time. I worked for Hard Rock originally, then with Planet Hollywood, um, and got to spend 10 years of my my 20s, running around the world, opening restaurants and having quite a lot of fun. So it was uh, it was a risk that paid off. If one looks back now, one goes, well, that's very strategic, Alex. It sounds to me like it wasn't. It's, it was more emotional and more like I'm young and I, as you said, I'm not going to get a chance to do this again. 
looking back, do you think if you hadn't made that decision and learnt the things that you learnt, we wouldn't be here now talking about your latest business or the four or five in between? Do you think it was a seminal moment, actually? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it taught me a lot about business. Uh, starting restaurants in different cities is effectively like doing a new startup uh, every time you do them, even though they're the same brand. You've got to find the team and an office and uh, all of those things. So it was definitely the entrepreneurial start to my career, although I was working for uh, for somebody else. And it also was sort of a risk. Um, and I think success in terms of entrepreneurialism comes from taking risks. So that was the first risk that I took, and it paid off. And in terms of risk, you're abs- of course you're right, and it's people that take risks that get on and do stuff and break break the rules and disrupt and so on and so forth. That risk, I mean, you're, in a way, your parents couldn't really be annoyed with you because your father was an entrepreneur, as you said. You've talked about him being your mentor, if I'm right. Where did the risk gene come from? Was it genetic, or is it something that you've just woken up with and gone, this just suits me? Because some people really don't like risk. Yeah, look, I think having um, my dad was an entrepreneur, as I said, and I think having seen the benefits of not being answerable to somebody else, being able to make your own decisions, whether it's as simple as taking longer holidays or when you want to, was obviously subconsciously ingrained in me as an advantage of, of not working for somebody else. So I think I think that came from, from from my dad, although I did spend the first 10 years of my career working for somebody else. Um, and, and, and I learned a lot doing that, but it certainly wasn't a strategic decision. It was it was definitely a risk. Uh, and that first risk that paid off probably uh, made me less risk averse and more sort of a believer in uh, being able to make good decisions, which led to a lot of self-belief later, which is what you have to do if you're starting a business, right? You've got to believe more than anybody else that you're right, because there's plenty of people who tell you that you're not. You set up, your co-founder of Bagel Mania, if I'm, uh, my sources are correct, back in uh, 99, so just after you got back. So you obviously got the bug and you left. You left this 10 years of fun, this 10 years of, I'll call it security, but not, not because it wasn't, you weren't adventurous, but because obviously you were within a, within a corporate structure. What was it like actually going for your first one? I mean, was it successful? Yeah, so I spent 10 years in the States, uh, which was in my 20s, which was great. I met my wife there, uh, and we moved back here in the uh, in, in the late 90s because, you know, Britain's my home, and I love it here, and my family was here. And again, I, food was what I knew. Uh, it's what I knew from my dad's business. It's what I'd known from the first 10 years in my career. And that was sort of the first opportunity for me to find a gap in the market, which is what I've really made my career out of uh, as an entrepreneur, which is looking for solving problems that don't exist and having spent 10 years in the states uh, every single day of those 10 years i'd had a bagel on my way to work uh, every morning and then i landed back in the uk and couldn't find one and so that was the first sort of gap or problem i identified that i wanted to solve um uh, so i opened the store and then another one and we ended up after two or three years with uh, with nine of those stores across london uh, which was great. And uh, following that, then I sort of got the tech bug. We're now 2002, and the world is changing dramatically. And so I started to look at opportunities outside of food mm. for the first time. Um, and that's when I started a business called uh, called Screen Select that became, uh, that became Love Film. Now, all those, the, the transition from food to technology, again, m- most people live their lives in the metaphorical hair of the rabbit, and they don't ever get the chance to just pan out and have an actual look at the shape of the thing. You managed to do that, and that's not just an intellectual thing, that's just, a, I imagine, a basic curiosity thing. And as you said, you talk about gaps, I want to come back to the gaps. 
where you're not a tech guy but you were fascinated by the notion of technology changing the world your screen select business then became love film and you met a whole bunch of people that morphing into a world which you didn't know but you sensed was going to change stuff was it uncomfortable or was the joy in the fact that you just didn't know and therefore it felt fresh again yeah, look, I think as an entrepreneur, as a business person, I'm not um, sector specific. I'm not an expert. So even when I was in the food business, I wasn't a chef, for example, and an expert on food. They, they were businesses. Uh, and you surround yourself with people who know a lot more about it than you do, that, that specialist subject matter. So I remember when I went into the into the Screen Select business, which is a sec- essentially films by post de- delivering DVDs, people said, well, what do you know about the film industry? And what do you know? about technology and exactly the same uh, is what people said to me in 2007 about when I went into the property space with with Zoopla and exactly what they're saying to me now about the car space as I'm developing. They must stop asking at some point. They must Um, go, maybe this guy knows what he's doing. If you're looking to do something innovative or disruptive, the less you know, the better. What I've found is it's an advantage to attack some of these sectors with very little knowledge and very little baggage. So none of the things, I wouldn't call myself an expert in anything that I've done. I'm certainly not a food expert. Uh, I'm not a film expert. I'm not a property expert. And I'm now not a car expert. Uh, But I know uh, I'm a consumer. And every single business that I've started is consumer led. I'm a consumer like everybody else. So uh, my view, going back to the the original uh, question about Bagel Mania was, I wanted to have a bagel every morning, and I figured there were a bunch of other people who might too. Um, I wanted to solve the video store problem. which was limited selection, poor convenience. You had to make two trips yeah. in 24 hours. If you brought the DVD, uh, the, the, back then it was videos. If you brought it back late, you got beaten. And, and, and you and got a 12-pound fine and a parking uh, ticket as exactly. well. That really annoyed you. Um, that would so annoy me. As a consumer, I thought, look, if there's a better way for me to do it, that, that other people will enjoy that as and well. And I buy that totally. And many of us think like that, but not many of us go on and keep disrupting different businesses. So then if you, you aren't an expert, what are you? What would you? How would you describe the skill set that you have that has enabled you to create, see the gap, create a business that delivers against it, and then carry on actually doing really well? Yeah, look, I think the the, the mistake that people uh, make about me and when when they label me is, is is they use the term innovator, which I'm not at all. People <laughs> people think I'm a good innovator. I'm actually a good imitator. So going all the way back, if you look at the from the bagel business all the way uh, through to where we are today, I copy things that I see that that I like uh, and that I think will work. So I was copying with the bagels what I had experienced every day in the States, a great bagel concept. I did exactly the same in 2003 with Screen Select because I'd seen Netflix uh, in the States in 2002 when it was still DVDs by post. Uh, I did the same in 2007 with Zoopla where I'd seen a similar business in the States called uh, Zillow. And I'm doing the same now with Kazoo where I've seen a similar business last year in the States that's disrupted. The, the, the used car business. So I'm looking at markets that are suboptimal, um, that there can be a much better consumer experience than there currently mm. is, and has somebody else tried and tested it somewhere else, and can I bring that to the UK? That's probably the best way of describing the entire pattern of my career. You've just given away the whole thing. It's like Mourinho and his playbook, but you're that confident. There Good. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with me for much more. And actually, there's going to be a bit more under the skin conversation I want to have around that because I get that, but I want to probe a little bit harder on um, some more stuff about how you've actually delivered successful business results as well. Much more coming up from Alex Chesterman, my business shaper, in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea. They've got some advice for your business. 
Hi, I'm Laura Chandler. I'm a partner in the corporate team at Mishkon and I head up our reorganisation and restructuring team. So why might you want to undertake a reorganisation or restructuring? There's a whole host of reasons, but some of the more likely ones are in preparation of a sale of the group or the business, or part of your group or business, for operational reasons. It might be to split the ownership, whether because of litigation, divorce, or just because. Or for tax planning reasons, such as inheritance tax planning. Careful planning is essential when undertaking a reorganisation. Some things that you want to think about are, where does everything sit now? Where do you want it to sit going forward, and why? What is your primary goal in undertaking the reorganisation? Also consider speaking to an expert to make sure that it's done in the most tax-efficient fashion. And what are the common pitfalls in undertaking a reorganisation? There are many, but here are just a few. Not fully preparing. Not taking the bank along with you so that they understand what you're doing and why. You might have charges or other security in place which needs releasing in order to undertake the reorganisation. Not having all of the shareholders fully on board. This can lead to delay and frustrations on all sides. And also timing. Think about whether there's anything time critical that has to be undertaken. And if so, factor that into your timetable. In essence, it's all in the planning and making sure you take the right advice early. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Alex again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into your iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today and Alex Chesterman and he's the co-founder of Love Film, he founded Zoopla and he's now founded Kazoo. And as he said, he's an imitator, not an innovator. Underneath the fact we've now established that you're an imitator and that you find it and you replicate it, how do you replicate it? Is it then about people? Is it then about the right kind of investment? You mentioned earlier, very early on, you said, I kind of realised I could trust myself to make good decisions vis-a-vis the the original decision to go to America. Where does it lie? Underneath the imitation thing, which I understand, then what happens? Are you then actually just very good at putting teams together and working out where the pressure points are? Look, I think there are three sort of steps if, in in the journey of a business to uh, to, to making it successful or being a successful leader. Uh, the first is setting out a very clear vision, so knowing exactly what you want to do and getting other people to buy into that vision. Uh, the second is surrounding yourself with a great team who can execute on that vision because you you can't do everything yourself, and there are better people to do a lot of the things uh, for you once you've set out that vision. Uh, and then it's about execution, which is all about decision making. I mean, business much like life is just an aggregation of the decisions you make and the worst decision is not making a decision in life or business mm-hmm. generally so I think I'm very decisive I don't get everything right but as long as you are moving forward and making a lot of decisions and you get most of them right I think that's uh, that's the secret to, 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 to the success how would these teams that you've created along the years describe Alex either to me, if you weren't in the room, but also with you in the room, would it be the same conversation? I think so. I think they'd say that I'm very, very clear in what I'm setting out to try to achieve, the problem that we're looking to solve. In all of those businesses, it's, it is as simple as identifying a problem and looking to solve and make, make consumers' lives better. And if you look at most of the businesses that I've been involved in, 
they've fundamentally changed consumer behavior in some way. You know, it was from 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 the time that we launched uh, Screen Select and became Love Film to uh, the total disappearance of video shops on the high street was less than five years. People look back now and, and think about uh, the transparency of the information that we provided on Zoopla, that you could see the values of every property and what they transacted for. And, and that's taken as a given now, but that didn't exist when we did it. Uh, so I think people would say that that, that I set a very clear sort of um, uh, outcome that I'm trying to achieve, which is the vision, and I'm pretty decisive along the way in terms of uh, how we're going to get there. And in those decision-making processes, often people get emotional about stuff. You strike me as someone who may be emotional underneath the surface, but actually you can channel that and control it. Are you? Would you describe yourself as a very rational, clear thinker? I mean, decision-making isn't always about the left brain it's often about the gut where yeah, does, where does um, it lie for you or does it depend no i'm not i i think emotion and business don't mix very well um so i'm not emotional uh, at all and I'm, I'm very outcome driven and i always start from that position which is where are we trying to get to and what is the right decision that you need to take or the best decision you can take given the circumstances in order to help you get to that outcome and I, everything for me is uh, outcome driven and working backwards from that I want to talk to you about people that you've worked with along the way, and I don't just mean the people in the teams, but the other entrepreneurs that you've kind of coalesced uh, uh, and developed with, and one of them is on this program, he's a friend of your Simon Franks. Is there something that you all have in common beyond the fact that you're obviously smart people and you know how to run businesses? Beyond that, is there a bond that you think that's why we are who we are? Well, look, I think entrepreneurs share certain sort of traits um, that are, they're resilient, they're uh, thick-skinned, they have a lot of confidence or self-belief, and and they're risk-takers, because there's plenty of people who have good ideas to actually give up a job and a salary and take the risk. And I don't just mean financial risk because you're not getting a salary, but there's reputational risk when you start a business. And so you've got to have a lot of confidence in what you're doing to be able to sell it to other people because you're looking for investors to back you with money. You're looking for employees to back you with their time. So that takes that takes quite a lot of, uh, of confidence. Uh, and you've got to be resilient because business is never a straight line. It's ups and downs. There will be good days and bad days. And as in anything in life it's very easy to give up Mm. when you have a bad day or something goes wrong there have been plenty of those ups and downs uh for me over the last sort of 20 years of being uh in business but i think if you are prepared to just push on and people always ask me sort of what advice would i would i give to a younger version of myself and that's just never give up if you if you believe in it go for it if the idea is a good one, sure, it won't be you know, smooth sailing all the way, mm-hmm. but ultimately the outcome will be what you want it to be. And does someone like you need support from other people, like your peers? You know, not, I don't just mean on a technical question, but just you've had one of those bad days or one of those bad weeks or the funding round didn't go quite as you planned or the, the MVP, the minimum viable product, just wasn't quite where it should have been and you're behind on this. Do you look to those people or is that... Are you quite self-contained and you go, I can just handle that and it's just business? I think that changes with the progression of your career. So certainly earlier, uh, you know, if I go back 15 years, then absolutely. When you're encountering things that you haven't uh, encountered before, either 
real problems or emotional uh, outcomes as a result of that, then of course you need support. And I think as you um, become more confident or have seen those type of issues before, you're less and less reliant. So, And I think you see that with sort of investment. So uh, early on, you're looking to your investors for more than just money. You want advice and you want their Rolodex and all sorts of things. And once you've done it a few times, uh, you become less reliant on on third parties. And if that's the case in terms of, I was just thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you become this sort of self-enlightened entrepreneur, you go, well, I know how to do that and I've got money and obviously over the years you've made really good money. The things you must start thinking about must have a different tone to them. It must be beyond business and I, I know that you're, a, a, you're interested in politics and stuff, but do you then start going, what else might I do with my life because actually the money is no longer material to me? Yes, and uh, I, th- I think there's both a business side to it and, not, and, a, and a non-business side. From the business side, obviously, the accumulation of that experience is something that can benefit others, I hope. And I'm a very active angel investor, so uh, particularly in the tech community in the UK. So I'm, you know, I'm involved in over 50 other businesses um, that I've backed younger versions of myself who are have great ideas, uh, are, are great people who are looking to disrupt various industries. Uh, and I love that. And, and I love being able to give back both advice and money uh, by investing in those. So that's something I, I'm particularly interested in. And then, of course, you know, I think with both age and experience, you start to think about things that you you don't think about earlier in life politics and the world and as you have kids and you know what you know what 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 are you leaving behind of course all of those questions you know I turn 50 next year and so I'm getting to that uh, that that point where those questions are starting to uh, be of more interest to me than they were in my 20s it's an excellent year to turn 50 by the way it's the best year great good we'll be sharing that although you're a bit older than me but it's pretty close Alex stay with me for our final chat with him and we're going to be playing a track also from Peggy Lee that's all coming up in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Never know how much I love you Never know how much I care When you put your arms around me I get a fever that's so hard to bang You give me fever The lovely sound of Peggy Lee with the inimitable fever. I'm with Alex Chessman just for a few more minutes. You apparently made a promise which has been broken, Alex. And you look like a man of your word, but you said this to your wife. You said no more start-ups. You said back in 2014, we have two children and my wife says we're done. I've got two business children as well and I'm probably done too. Famous last words. Kazoo is relatively new. It ain't a small one. The second-hand car market is pretty enormous. Um, how did she take the news that you'd broken this promise, or is she kind of sanguine about it and didn't yeah. really believe you would anyway? Look, I, I do think there's a lot of analogies between um, uh, having children and starting a business. There's a lot of effort involved, and it is the type of thing that you need to sit down with your partner and agree mutually that you're going to do it because they do take over both your life for a certain period of time. Uh, and I think that's one of the things people uh, sort of resist 
being entrepreneurial is the mountain looks too steep to climb to start something from a clean sheet of paper and turn it into a uh, a viable business. But for me, that's what I love doing. And my wife knows that. Um, and whilst uh, I did say that um, as early as 2014, and I actually said it as late as last summer that I wasn't going to do, uh, which was which was 2018, that I wasn't going to do another one. This particular uh, space that I'm going into is, is so compelling uh, from a disruption standpoint and so big. Um, that, you know, uh, as with my previous ones, I'm sort of, I get very frustrated if markets are suboptimal and not working as well as they should. Um, Do you really, though, when you say that, I mean, I get it irrationally, and obviously you've done it time and again, is there a visceral feeling as well, just like this is wrong and I'm going to fix it? Yeah, fixing the problem is what drives me for sure. Um, You know, if there's byproducts of that, you you can make a great business and you can make money and all of those things. But actually it's the problem, isn't it? It's the problem. And, you know, if you look at the used car market, it suffers from a lack of transparency, a lack of trust, a lack of convenience, a lack of customer satisfaction, and there is a better way. And Kazoo's going to deliver that, that better way later this year, so watch this space. But uh, my wife's very understanding. Going going back to your question, yeah. um, uh, and you know, she told me in in 2014 that, that that we weren't having any more kids. I'm still trying in 2019 to change her mind about that, but we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Going to have to have a lot a lot of good luck with that. When you're not working, quote unquote, if there is that time, do you manage to relax? Do you manage to switch off? Is there a time when you're with your family when you really aren't noodling over the kazoo issue and the state of the market, or is there just a constant whirring of Alex's brain? Well, look, the, the two passions in my life are business and my family. And I've got, I've got, I've got two kids. And, um, you know, so I spend all my time on those two, uh, th- th- those two areas. And uh, I spend as much time as I can with my family. And I certainly don't think either get in the way of, of each other if you manage your time well. But those are the two things I'm absolutely passionate about. And the moment you're, you're most happy, the most fulfilled for you, if you think about a day, what is it? Well, from a business standpoint, it's in this early stage of a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I spent the last 10 years, we sort of started this interview about the first 10 years of my career. The last 10 years of my career, particularly the last four, were running a public company, a FTSE 250 company, which was uh, Zoopla that we founded and became uh, ZPG. Um, and that's sort of a thousand plus people. And it's very different to where I am today, which is clean sheet of paper, looking how we uh, fundamentally uh, transform an end industry and that's fun um so um i love this part of the stage of a business which is the the formation of the idea and developing it and creating a brand like kazoo which nobody's heard of today which i hope two years from today will be a household brand that everybody's heard of that creation and transformation and improvement uh, i love uh, and on the other side on the on, on the family side any time that i can spend with my uh with my family is always a good day Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And thanks again for coming out of the, the cave for a, a brief glimpse. Uh, it's been really good, really good uh, to hear. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Great spending time with you. Just before I let you go, there's one more question, which is an easy one. What's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Love and Hate by Michael uh, Kiwanuka. Just a great song that I, uh, I, I I discovered a few years ago and then discovered that uh, uh, he grew up actually around the corner from where I live um, uh, in North London uh, and just... Uh, a fantastic voice uh, and a great album. I believe she won't take me somewhere I'm not supposed to be. You can't steal the things that God has given me. No more pain and no more shame and misery. 
That was Michael Kiwanuka with Love and Hate, the song choice of my brilliant business shaper today, Alex Chesterman. Very early on realised he quite liked not being answerable to anybody else. He talked about being a consumer first and foremost. And finally, and really importantly, he talked about disruption. And as he said, the less you know about that particular category, the better. You can hear our conversation with Alex all over again whenever you'd like to. As a podcast, just search Jazz Shapers or ask your smart speaker to play Jazz Shapers. Or if you're seizing the day on Monday morning, which I hope you will do, you can catch this programme again just before the business breakfast at the not unseemly early hour of 5am. We're back next Saturday from 9 with our next business shaper. It's Kevin O'Sullivan, the founder and CEO of Open Destinations. Up next after the news at 10, it's Nigel Williams. You're going to get great music, interviews and live sessions too. That's it from Jazz Shapers and me. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.